We're in Exodus chapter 34. Um, If you don't have a Bible with you today, that's okay. Uh, The words that we're going to read from the Bible will be projected up on the screens um, in just a moment. The passage of the Bible that we have been taking in together over the last few weeks um, is about God. We have been learning about what he's like. He's telling us in his own words, this is who I am. And we have reached the point uh, today in our study where we have in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 34, five descriptors about God. From God's own mouth, five descriptors of what he's like in verses 6 and 7. God is merciful, gracious, patient, faithful, and just. Merciful, gracious, patient, faithful, and just. And what we're going to do is take each of those in turn and devote one Sunday to each of those descriptors, each of those character traits, starting today, beginning with the reality that God is merciful. What does that mean? And what does it mean for us today? That's where we're headed, okay? What does it mean that God is merciful? And what does it mean for us today? The outline is really simple. Um, There's a copy of it in the, the bulletin that you picked up. It's a copy also posted online. Just three points. We're going to talk first about the, the word itself, the word that is used here for merciful. We're going to talk about the word. We're going to talk next about what is implied by the presence of the word. Finally, we're going to talk about the application of the truth that God is merciful. Okay? So the word, the implication, the application. That's where we're going. I'm going to start in verse 5. We're really going to focus on verse 6 only, and really only the very first part of verse 6. Okay? Let's do that. Let's stand in honor of God's word if you're able. Exodus chapter 34, uh, verses 5 and 6. This is what we read. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful. Father, we devote this time to you and ask that you would um, allow us to channel all of our energy into this most privileged study of your character, the very core of your being given to us here in your own words. Our simple request uh, beyond that is that you just show us more of yourself and reveal yourself to an even greater extent than we've seen so far. We pray that all this would happen for Jesus' glory, and we ask in his holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Some of you have the word compassionate in front of you. 
If you've got the New International uh, Version or the New American Standard translation, your text reads, the compassionate God. If you have the English Standard Version or the King James Version, your reading is the merciful God. A God merciful. Both of those are good translations of the underlying Hebrew word that gets translated as merciful or compassionate. This very first word that God has used to describe himself. And this is what we want to understand about the very first word that God has used to describe himself. This is what we want to understand about the word. God could not have chosen a softer or more tender word than the word that he chose. What is your view of God? Do you see him as harsh or demanding? Punishing? Fearful? What comes to your mind when you think about God? I want to invite you to let your view of God be formed by what God has told us about himself. Beginning here with this very first word. The special thing about this word, this Hebrew adjective. Is that the root is a noun. It's the word for a mother's womb. That's the root of the adjective. The Hebrew word for womb. The first word that God uses to describe himself is based on the noun that means a mother's womb. That's the underlying idea that is present in this very first descriptor of God. And the key concept is protection of a vulnerable life. That's what a womb is. A womb is protection of a vulnerable life. A life that's not able to sustain itself. A life that's in need of help. A life that's in need of protection. So when we read in our English Bibles that... God is merciful or compassionate. Here's the idea. God, the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel, is a protector of vulnerable life. One of the reasons that the book of Ruth is so beloved and is a favorite of so many in this room. If we pulled the room, I'm sure that Ruth would probably be in the the top five of favorite books. One of the reasons why the book of Ruth is so beloved is because it pictures so beautifully this theme of the way that God protects vulnerable life. Because that's what the main players do. We see chapter one, the way that Ruth becomes a protector of the vulnerable life of Naomi. She doesn't have anybody left to provide for her. Her husband is dead. Her two sons are gone. And here's Ruth is going to go with her, make sure that she's taken care of. 
And then, of course, we get to chapters two through four, where Boaz, the hero, steps onto the scene and he becomes the protector of vulnerable lives. He's going to provide food security and a future and protection for Ruth and her mother-in-law. And Boaz so beautifully pictures the protection of the Lord for those who are vulnerable. That's what God is like. He's a protector of vulnerable life. So much is indicated to us by the word that's used here, okay? Now, let's think about the implication of seeing this word here. What is implied by this revelation that God is merciful? Well, it's implied that there are beings in need of mercy. If God will be known by his own choice as one who extends mercy, there must be those who are in need of it. You know, you can devote a lot of Sundays to attending Christian worship in America. And it will likely be a rare occasion to hear someone confront you from the pulpit and declare to you your need of the mercy of God. And the reason why it's so rare is because no one wants to hear about that. No one wants to be confronted from the pulpit and told, your greatest need is the mercy of God. No, what we want to hear is how to get guidance from God. Or we want to hear about how to get power from God. Please, pastor, tell me how to get strength from God and comfort from God. And regrettably, there are Lots of messages you can find out there just devoted to the theme, how do I get money from God and possessions from God? Those are the things that we want to hear. Your first and greatest need is mercy from God. Did you know that? Did you know that your life is vulnerable in his hands? How vulnerable is it? The most famous sermon ever preached on this continent was devoted to answering that question. How vulnerable are our lives in God's hands? The preacher was Jonathan Edwards, July 8th, 1741. He was a guest preacher that day in Enfield, Connecticut. This is hope and encouragement for everyone that's ever a guest speaker filling in for the other person. It was a guest preacher that gave the most famous sermon ever delivered. And can you imagine those people that showed up on that Sunday, just going to church like every other Sunday, not knowing that they were about to be a witness to the most famous sermon ever delivered on this continent. And the reason that it's so famous is that Edwards gave this vivid illustration of just how vulnerable a person's life is in the hands of God. He said, you know, we're like a spider. All of us, every man and every woman is like this weighty spider that's hanging from a a single strand of silk 
suspended over an abyss. And every moment, that single strand of silk gets thinner and thinner and thinner and will snap at any moment. And we will die. And we will plunge into the abyss of hell if we have not received mercy from God. That's a striking and harrowing illustration, isn't it? It's also a true illustration. And when you hear an illustration like that, for some of you, that that may cast God in a very unfavorable light in your mind. We just spent 10 minutes talking about his character, what he's like, the softness and the tender heartedness. Let's talk a little bit about your character and the contours of your life. I want you to know that you were created good. And the remnants of that good creation are still there. You are capable of thinking noble thoughts and doing noble things. But at the core of you, in what the Bible calls your heart, you are hopelessly sinful. And you are utterly opposed to God and everything about him. We defy his law and we enjoy doing it. We covet. We use other people for our own benefit. We may not kill anybody. We may not have an affair. But we murder and we commit adultery in our hearts. Our badness may seldom present itself on the outside. Other people may not see it a lot, but on the inside, we are a cesspool of sin. We simply do not want to be ruled over by an outside entity. We will not let God establish his rule inside of us. We will rule ourselves. Thank you very much. We will decide what's right and what's wrong. That's who you are. That's who I am. And judgment awaits by the God who created you. And by the God who has the right to judge you. Now, you may not believe that these things are so. You hear me talking. You've heard this message before. And you have decided, that's fine. I just don't believe that. And I want to humbly submit to you that these things are still true, whether you agree with them or not. Not because I say so, but because God has spoken it. And inside of us, way down inside, 
there is this inner shame that has always accompanied sin. Ever, ever since the garden, ever since Adam and Eve sinned for the first time and went and hid, hid themselves. Shame, a deep sense of shame has always accompanied sin and it's in there. And it testifies to the truth that the feeling of shame that you have testifies to the truth that God is there and we have not obeyed him. A preacher does for the soul what a doctor does for the body. A physician sits down with you and tells you that the cancer that you cannot feel or see is nevertheless there, and it will kill you if you don't do anything about it. That's what a preacher does for the soul. Sits down with you and says, this cancer of sin that you may not agree with or be able to see or even have a feeling of this morning, it's nevertheless there, and it will kill you, and that forever, if nothing is done about it. Mercy is a beautiful concept, but it begins in a really hard place. Really hard. And if we will taste the sweetness of mercy, we have to spend time dwelling on the bitterness and the horror of our position before God. We are offenders who are a blink away from hell. Now remember, right here at this low point where our spirits are just on the floor, all the air is out of the room, remember why we're talking about this. Remember that we have read in the Bible that God is merciful. And that has caused us to ask the question, why is he merciful? There must be beings in need of mercy. And we are. We've just spent time establishing that. A long time. There are beings in need of mercy. We are. That's the bad news. But God is a God of mercy. He is a protector of vulnerable life. Okay? Now, what does that mean for us? Three things. Here they are. This is the application. We've gone from the word itself to the implication. Now we're into the application. Because God is merciful, first of all, we are supplicants. That's the first application of this truth. We are supplicants. Now, that's a word that's not in common usage. That's just a polite and sophisticated way of saying that we are beggars. None of us want to see ourselves that way, as a beggar. We avert our eyes, if we can, from beggars. Beggars have problems. Beggars are pitiful. They are resourceless. They are dependent on others for help. They wait on the kindness of someone else. They're not self-sufficient. And we do not want to see ourselves that way, but that is exactly who we are before God. We apply and we wait on the God who has said, 
Look back at verse 19 of chapter 33. God's already mentioned his mercy. We wait on the God who has said, I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. He asserts his right to be God. Notice that God does not say, I will show mercy on those who live a good life. No, it's never been that way. We can't build a stairway to God made out of our good works. We can't work for his mercy. All we can do is ask for it. Now, you may not find yourself in church very often. This may be your very first time in a church service. You may be wondering, how am I supposed to feel when I'm in this room? How do I know if I've been successful as a worshiper, or an attendee. What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to feel? Not a surprising feeling at all. Those are great questions. You may have been to lots of church services. You may have been to so many church services that you have responsibilities now. You've been given responsibilities for things you need to do on Sunday morning to make all of this happen. That's true for some of you. And you may have kind of an opposite problem. You've been here so often that you forget what you're supposed to be doing or what kind of feeling you're supposed to have because you're so busy with everything else going on. That's understandable too. What is supposed to be happening when we're here? How are we supposed to feel? How do we approach God? We have this wonderful description in Luke chapter 18. Jesus describing a worshiper who goes home With the smile of God upon them. Would you like that to be true of you? To achieve your purpose in worship. To come and have a successful day. What does it look like to come here and have an approved experience with God? This is what Jesus says. You you remember this. It's familiar to you. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast saying, here's our key word. God Be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, this man went down to his house justified. He didn't try to justify himself by playing up his goodness before God when he came to this room. He didn't put on airs. He didn't put on appearances. He humbled himself and he recognized his debt before God. He thought about himself the right way, didn't he? He called himself a sinner. He thought of himself the right way. He thought about God the right way. God, be merciful to me. He applied to the God of mercy. And he became simply a supplicant. He just became a beggar. That's all. And so must we all. Because we all share his condition. First of all, we're supplicants. Now, we're not uninformed supplicants. We don't go to God unsure of what he will do. I want you to be a supplicant, but I want you to be an informed supplicant. Okay? No, we don't approach God with our good works and say, here, please have mercy on me. We don't take our church attendance to him or our PhD in religious studies to him. Or our time card from our charitable work. We have to approach him in spiritual poverty and bring to him our sin and his promise. 
his promise that everyone who looks on his son and believes in him will be shown mercy. Whoever believes in his son will be saved from eternal death and hell. God has one son, and he's so pleased with that one son that he has located all of his mercy in him, in Jesus. That is what is necessary to be saved from that abyss that we're ready to plunge into at any moment. Don't be an uninformed supplicant. Take him his promise and his son and say, I'm trusting the son who you love to save me from my sin and hell. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Perish means die forever. That whoever believes in him shall not die forever, but have eternal life. Become, um, just become a beggar today before God. Don't let the reality that you're an intellectual keep you from becoming a beggar. That's the first thing. We are supplicants. We are beggars for mercy. Secondly, we are debtors. Talking about the application to our lives that God is a God of mercy and he's compassionate. What does that mean for us that he is that way? First of all, we're supplicants. Second of all, we're debtors. We're debtors to mercy. I think this is one of the most difficult things to get the modern American evangelical to grasp the obligation that we are under because of God's mercy to us. It's much more likely that we emphasize our freedom in Christ, that we've been set free from the power of sin and set free from the penalty of sin. And we just sang about that and Praise the Lord. That's true. There's tremendous freedom that we have because Christ paid the penalty for us. Freeing us from the power of sin and death. But the companion concept is almost entirely lost on us. So highly do we prize freedom that we give no regard to this deep abiding obligation that we are under because we've been shown mercy. And if you've been a Christian a long time, I just want to ask you, yes, you have this awareness of being a recipient of mercy. It's been with you a long time. This idea that you walk around with that I've been a recipient of mercy, but do you also have the mindset of being a debtor to mercy? So obvious as you read Paul's letters that he had this overwhelming sense of obligation to God. Romans 1, I am under obligation. Romans 8, so then brothers... 
We are debtors. And finally, Romans 12, a verse that many of you have memorized, probably the the greatest description and explanation that we have of what it looks like to be a debtor to mercy. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable act of worship. We cannot earn mercy, but we can respond to mercy. What's the response? What is the reasonable response of a person that really understands that they have been shown mercy by God, that they were over the abyss, but have been removed from the abyss and feet set on solid ground? What's the reasonable response by a person that understands that? That we've been taken off the altar and Jesus has been laid upon it. What's the reasonable response? To place ourselves right back on the altar. Not as a sacrifice to be killed. But as a living sacrifice. Completely given to God. Mind, body, soul, all of it. Laying down my self-will hour by hour because of this deep abiding reality that I'm a debtor to mercy. Have you viewed yourself as a debtor to mercy? Let's take it one step further, then we're done, okay? Okay. One more short step. Supplicant, debtor. Let's not stop there. We're also image bearers. We are supplicants. We are debtors. We are also image bearers. What does that mean? It means that we have been created in the image of God and have the capacity to likewise show mercy ourselves. To ourselves be protectors of vulnerable life. In other words, we're called to look like our father, to mirror his priorities and his character in the world that we inhabit. We work toward the same ends that he's working toward. We also have become protectors of vulnerable life. Have you taken up that role? Have you taken on that responsibility? Okay. Just stop and think about the world that you inhabit in the spheres that you participate in during the week. Where is vulnerable life present around you? The unborn are vulnerable. The elderly are vulnerable. Life is vulnerable at its earliest and latest stages. Other 
stages of life are vulnerable as well for reasons of uh, health concerns, lack of food, lack of work, even lack of relationship. Life can be vulnerable for all of those reasons. Just look around where God has placed you and ask the question, where do I see vulnerable life around me right now? And how can I step in and become a protector of that vulnerable life? And how can I become a participant in mercy? That's the final step. That we're not only supplicants and not only debtors, but we are also image bearers. So this is what we're taking out of the room with us today. All right, we've reached the end. What are we walking out the door with? We're taking the spirit of a supplicant. We're taking the mindset of a debtor. And we're taking the responsibility of an image bearer. That's what I want you to take with you. The spirit of a supplicant. The mindset of a debtor. And the responsibility of of an image bearer because God has revealed himself this way. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful. Amen. God, thank you. Thank you for mercy. We, each one of us, just take a moment before life gets busy again when we walk out these doors um, to say one more time, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Even if we have trusted in Jesus, we never grow beyond the point of recognizing our need to say that to you. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Thank you for forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name and the way that we have been able to celebrate that today with communion. And I pray for my dear brothers and sisters here, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, you would make the word fruitful today in their lives. For Jesus' glory, we pray in his holy name.